Welcome to If These Balls Could Talk, where each of us brings forth five topics to discuss, and the other has no idea what those topics are. This is our season one finale, and also our special Super Bowl episode. And our applause here. Super Bowl noises. Super Bowl noises. My name is Mark Pesci, and with me as always is a man with a smile so bright, he'll chase your blues away and make everything just right, and that may have been generated by ChatGPT, John Campania. What's going on, John? That is amazing. What a nice introduction, Mark. I like the rhymes of the other ones better, though. I set the bar really high, I think, the last two episodes, so I was having yeah, a hard really time. Yeah, you really it out of the park, man. I was having a hard time getting on top of that. I think when with our next season, I'm going to start with a new kind of format of introducing you, but... I'm very excited. Like, Chat GPT, we've been talking about it. It's been in the news a lot. We may be talking about it today. We'll see. So might as well might as well use the, the robots and see what they, they have to say. I love robots. Uh, our producer slash assistant to the chief creative officer, Pete Steffen, is off running an errand for his boss, and he will be joining us shortly. But with us today are two special guests. So please allow me to introduce Tim and Lisa Faze. Welcome to the podcast Fazes. Fazes. <laughs> How do you guys say that when you're introducing yourself? Just Faze. Yeah, just Faze. Every year I put a, a guide of how to pluralize your last name if it ends with an S. Um, nice. Some people follow it dutifully and others um, ignore it and continue with their willy-nilly apostrophes. But um, yeah. And, and for context, just so everyone knows, it's Phasers. That's the plural. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Phasers. That is your that. last name for forever. The Phasers. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> Set these Phasers to fun. All right. Uh, let's say we get to know our friends, Tim and Lisa, shall we? Uh, first, Tim, let's start with you. Uh, we wanted to start off this big Super Bowl episode by discussing one of your weekly football traditions called Breakfast with the Bills. This is essentially you and your dog, Dino, grabbing a beer in your hot tub before the Bills games. So please tell us how this tradition started and more importantly, why hasn't it given the Bills enough juju to win a Super Bowl? You know, it's interesting. I I didn't remember how it started. I, I, when you, I was thinking about this, and I I really don't I did I don't know. It was random, it was, and it wasn't even Dino. It was the old dog. It was Dixie, and it was uh, 2016, and that was the first time. It just kind of was like, oh, I'm gonna have a beer before the Bills game. And I listened to the local radio station and uh, just really enjoyed it. So they won. So. I did it again the next week, and I figured I did everything I could to ensure a victory. I can't, you know, I can't ensure every variable will go. I mean, that's very play. important. Honestly, it is yeah. very important. You are yeah, a big part of the part, team, right? But and I would argue, while the Bills have not won a Super Bowl yet, since we have begun breakfast with the Bills with our little beer and hot tub dog tradition, and mind you, the dog is not in the hot tub. Just so, just I mean, the, every time he's. Yeah, he's just behind me. He's outside. <laughs> it would just terrorize the filter. The, the, uh, the social media pictures are glorious, by the way. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It, you know, you got to be really comfortable with your dog licking your beer every once in a while. It's not the end of the world, you know? Alcohol <laughs> cleans all things, right? You mean that's wrong? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but since the time, I would say the Bills have gone from being completely irrelevant to fairly relevant. And I'm going to take some you credit. You could argue that, yeah. I think you can that. take some credit. Some credit for that. Yeah. But do we feel we have to kind of up the game a little bit more to, in order to get them over the hump? Or? I mean, it gets awfully cold in Buffalo, Mark. You know, honestly, in Buffalo, it, it, it's not really, it's not the cold. It's, it's uh, really football season. It doesn't get that cold anymore. Honestly, we got two snowstorms this year. And honestly, it what was 55 degrees today. Yeah. It's... It's you get these crazy storms. It's really not that bad here. Um, 
our biggest problem is that I can't consistently do breakfast with the Bills because the stupid Bills have gotten good. They don't have Sunday at one o'clock. Yeah, anymore. they're on prime time all the time now. Yeah, and so either it's like it's not breakfast with the Bills anymore. So I blame the Bills. They've gotten too good, yeah, but they've ruined it for them. Yeah. Well, it's trendy to be, it's trendy to be a Bills fan now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Used to be keep Buffalo a secret. No, friggin' not. millennials. Everybody knows now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so many people jumping through tables. <laughs> Where else can you do that? <laughs> That's true. Really That's normal. true. Did, That's true. Did you guys tailgate at all this season? Uh, I went. My we buddy did in Detroit. Yeah. So yeah, we tailgated in Detroit, but we tailgated kind of the way we do, which was reasonably bougie. Uh, at a catered tailgate with open bar, and let me tell you guys, it was worth every bunny. Hell yeah! <laughs> every every type of food that you could possibly think of, it had a bar for that. So it was. Um, I was I was weighing what I was going to you know use my stomach real estate on. I was like, I can eat bread. Bread is for suckers. I need you know. <laughs> I need I need a lobster tail before yeah. the game. Yeah. Bread, bread is only there to soak bar. up the alcohol. Come on, let's be well, let's be honest. Bar first, you get some breakfast drinks, right? You get some some Bloody Marys, you get some mimosas, you get some screwdrivers, and then you go get the the taco bar. Then they had a, a shrimp cocktail bar. They had a, like a turkey dinner bar. Clearly, they had a breakfast <laughs> bar, a dessert bar, and then they had a margarita bar, I think. And then also a Bloody Mary station too, where you could make your own Bloody Mary and put like slices of pizza in it and half a burger and. and I don't know, nachos or something. People do these stupid. So when you're telling your story about all the, um, all the, all the, all the available drinks at your, at your tailgating, I thought about the Jim Brewers stand up. You, you remember that one where he lets all the different drinks in and they all have accents. You should look it up. If you don't, it's really funny. Tequila comes in and kicks everybody out. <laughs> Jim Brewer. That's a name I haven't heard in a long, long time. Yeah. The nineties were an or interesting the kids time. Say in a minute, in a minute. I low key missed that. <laughs> I, I do question, was he funny or was he just available? He was mostly <laughs> high. Yeah, that's about, that sounds right. I, just, mm. wasn't, I don't know. I don't know this comedian at all. Yeah. Yes, there's a reason. Okay, all right. I'll have to look him up. Yeah. It, he, no, he, he, screamed, he screamed a lot. He did scream yeah, a lot. And he made funny true. faces. Yeah. He seemed okay. drunk a lot. Yeah. That's why. He has a lot of beer and booze related stand up. He would do like semi skit based comedy where he would dress up like characters and do bad accents and say things that weren't funny, but loudly. Okay. And everyone laughed. Okay. Some and also things. it was the 90s. So he was a little racist. Oh, yeah. Like mostly racist. Yeah. <laughs> Watching movies sometimes they really don't hold up. This is don't true. They wah, don't wah. hold up. Encino Man. Oh, and Seal Man, so sad. That man, is, that man that, could win an Oscar, you know. Yeah, keep that in your memory banks if you haven't rewatched it in a long time, and just remember it for how you think it was. <laughs> the happy tale of a caveman found while a loser was digging a hot tub. <laughs> Based on a true story. But no, I did. A, I went to one tailgate. I mean, we do tailgate at home too. So we were like, we'll pre-game here at the house before. Because usually on, on Bill's game days, we host at the house at the bar, uh, the lovely you know the room that we have here, and we'll, we'll go outside and do a fire and play you know can jam. Wait, do you guys know what can jam is? Yes, but explain for the, uh, the listeners who don't. Okay, so can jam is a frisbee kind of base game where you throw a frisbee at kind of like a garbage can shaped material with a hole in the front, and you want to try to get the frisbee in the hole. 
uh, either the top or through the slot. And you get points and then you drink while you're doing it. It's and fun. you can play aggressive defense, which is hilarious when you fall in the can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, over. A, it's a good drinking game. It's a, worth your $35 or whatever it costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we'll play Cornhole, Cornhole Sport, Universal. Present teachers from oh yeah uh, local school district. I think it was like Tunnel One, Canton maybe somewhere in Buffalo. Uh, Can Jam was invented. Yes, that's Ooh. pretty cool. Good so trivia. we just need to learn to invent a long game and yeah. you know, monetize that. And do you guys um, take off? Do you guys play frisbeer? Do you guys have frisbeer where you are? I've no, heard of I love frisbee based beer games. Mm-hmm. All of frisbeer them. is awesome. Like you play with your teammate, and so on one side uh, you're, you know, play as another team of two. And there's a pole either on the stand or in the ground with a beer bottle on top. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to throw the Frisbee at the pole and try to knock the beer bottle down. And you can score points based on what happens, but you can defend. Uh, so the Frisbee like hits the pole. Once it hits the pole, you you can try to catch it, but you have to catch Frisbee every time regardless. But you can try to catch the bottle in midair. Um, you can like hit the bottle and the other person catches it. So I didn't like, know the name of it. I played that game. Yeah, that game's awesome. It's, it's aggressive sometimes. It's a fun game. It's, that's yeah. It's so, yeah. But, so, but uh, the only tailgate at the Bills I think we went to was Doug. Well, Doug and I went to one. And the Minnesota game. Yeah. The Minnesota game. It was horrible weather and a horrible game. A horrible loss. As our most in November. Yeah. Horrible weather game. Um, and Lisa and I did Detroit. And then my, my oh, my uh, one of my good buddy Dan, he had uh, his 40th birthday. He rented out the uh, Mafia house. Uh, like, like on the internets or whatever and uh on the, like, on the internets hang out and they're actually being interviewed that day by some dude from oh uh, like abc or something yeah it was yeah. Like, good morning america or something like that i can't remember his name but some a famous guy from a TV. network yeah reporter. a network reporter was yeah. doing interviews at the bills mafia babes because they raise all this money for charity but this all happens at the bills mafia house it's kind of like the tailgate central for bills mafia whoever they might be that's so. pretty cool yeah, it was fun times. So it was uh, just just kind of a real kind of fun day, and hung out and tailgated and watched the game. Feel the TV set up and DJs were everywhere, and there's fires going. That was a lot of fun. It was a good weather day. It was like 45 and cloudy, so it was kind of warm. Nobody likes to go to a football game and have it be miserable out. Pete was here. He likes the story where he went to the last game of the season a couple of years, ago, uh, like a bunch of years ago now, and it was the one where they beat. I think they beat the the Peyton Manning Colts. In a blizzard Ooh. on week seventeen, and he couldn't see across oh. the field. One of those games, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like I remember posting on Instagram just like a sheet of just a white box, and just like, <laughs> and this Bills Colts game is great. Still don't understand <laughs> not getting a dome in this city, but you'll figure it out. I would love a dome. Can I donate Pagul- dome? Pagula will make it happen. <laughs> they don't want the dome, man. It's another billion dollars. N- not not okay. a sponsor of this podcast, by the way. But Terry, you can if you'd like. We are all about sponsorship. The new stadium is going to have wind confusion. It's much better than a roof. <laughs> wind confusion. Is that like a wind tunnel? It's a series of, of wind kind of like fencing. And I think you know, like literally Google it. It's a term that they were explaining to everybody why it's better. Yeah. It's supposed to confuse the wind. So it's not as windy. Confuse the wind. Yeah, amazing. Well. <laughs> you know, that's going to affect the Bills kicker too, right? Well, you guys <laughs> need to do what all the other teams, and like Pete likes to tell the story about how when the Bills went to Miami, they made the Bills side of the field 100 million degrees. So you have to make yeah. it like really cold somehow. Make yeah. them sit on blocks of ice or something. Yeah, yeah. maybe no wind confusion on that side. Mm. Yeah, wind confusion on their side. I like it. Oh, and guess who's back from his errand? Welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Assistant to the Chief Creative Officer, Pete Steffen. How's it going, Pete? Hey, 
Hello there. Better late than never, right? All right. And so let's move on. And so we've never had a um, guest section with two guests. So we have questions for the both of you guys. Lisa, you've been a high school English teacher for almost 20 years now. And shame on me. I just learned you're also a tennis coach. So what is the most rewarding part about teaching high school students? And what part does high school athletics play in their development? Um, well, thank you. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting to think about that. I've been teaching for almost twenty years. It, it's uh, it's gone fast. Um, the most rewarding part about teaching is um, it's really exciting to see them move on and after high school and see what they do after that. Um, they've you know they're mostly fully cooked when they're when they come to me. You know they're they're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and they, you know they have jobs and you know, significant others and uh, aspirations. So when they opinions on things. Yes, they do. They have, they have, they have a burgeoning worldview. So when they leave and then you follow them and by way of social media has made it possible for me to keep in touch with some of these kids for, you know, almost 20 years now. um, It's, it's really interesting to see the things that they're doing. You know, I have students that are working on groundbreaking cancer research. I have, you know, students that are uh, running incredible construction businesses uh, to see them pursue and, and realize their dreams and also become parents and, you know, get married and things like that. Some of my students are in their mid thirties now. So um, the shelter dog kid. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, they, they start their own animal shelters. You That's know, amazing. And, wow. So it, it's wonderful to, to see them become fully, you know, formed humans and <laughs> full enriched lives. And you're like, wow, I, I had a small part in that. That's really cool. I tell um, you how to think, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm actually officiating a wedding of two former students in in October. I'm really excited. That to is that. so cool. Wow. How did they How did they ask you to do that? Um, so they were both students of mine and became a an item uh, during the time they were in, under my tutelage, and decided that I was, you know, an influential figure during during their time, their courtship, and that, that made it sound like you set them up. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Are you taking I did. credit for their wedding? <laughs> I suppose I did have uh, a role in that, at least in their uh, their early stages of their relationship. So, yeah, now it's been it's been quite some years and they're tying the knot in October. So I'm going to be the efficient. And that's a really that's a teacher achievement unlocked. I've never done that before. With regard to coaching tennis, that's a relatively new exploit in my career. I started doing that. Uh, I think it's my fifth, year, fifth season coaching. I took one off. I had um, pretty extensive uh, hip surgery. So I wasn't able to coach uh, in the fall of 2020. But I'm back at it. And I coached a varsity girls tennis team at my suburban school in uh, just outside of Buffalo, New York. Probably one of the biggest challenges with that is that I, I work at a, a school that's a Title I school. So for your listeners who don't know what that is, it means that the majority of our students are in economic need and they require we require federal funding to meet their needs. So yeah, every single student in our building gets free free breakfast, free lunch, uh, regardless of their situation. That's great. Uh, yeah. But the challenge of what that brings to sports is that a lot of times we we are um, paired up against schools and our opponents are are much more well-funded. A student may be, one of my student athletes might be playing somebody who's had 10 plus years of uh, private coaching, you know, membership to a tennis club, things like that. And my students, this might be the first time they're playing a sport, an organized sport ever. I'm sure some of your seniors have to work instead of practice tennis, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, for sure. And many of my students are uh, new to this country. So this is a new opportunity for them to become part of the fabric of our, our school building and 
and our culture. And it's, it's a really exciting opportunity, but it's difficult. And when I, they go up against someone who is really has a lot more experience with them and they might, you know, have improved dramatically in the beginning part of the season, but they've not improved the level of it as commensurate to their opponent. So, and I just tell them like, Hey, this is not the first time you're going to face someone in life that has had, you know, more opportunities with you, more, um, more funding, more, uh, ap- access to things. So I mean, it's a good lesson, right? They, uh, it's, it's challenging sometimes because there's a lot of tears, but there's also a lot of personal growth. Uh, and I really enjoy working with these young women. It's a great way to know students in a different way. That's fantastic. Super cool. And when, when anyone asks why Lisa has like 24,000 Facebook friends and I have 186 <laughs> because they're students. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they get on, they get on Facebook for, for us, for us olds. Right. Yeah. 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 They don't we use are, that. No, are, they don't use that anymore. Family. Hey Lisa, <laughs> I've actually started uh, up. Uh, actually I was playing tennis this mo- early this morning at six 30 in the morning. Uh, I have Mark's a friend teaching who, me about tennis. I, I have a friend who wants me to be her mixed doubles partner next season. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how we'll see how that goes. But was that our previous guest, or is that was our else? previous guest, Sadie? Yes, she is also a tennis coach. Mm-hmm. She's a professional. <laughs> she is a tennis pro at a and tennis is quickly tennis becoming club. one of the yep. the biggest sports of the podcast. It's something I came to kind of later in life. I didn't start playing until I was 30. So the opportunity to coach tennis at the school I work at came up and I decided it would be a nice professional challenge. And it's been challenging for sure, but really, really rewarding. So uh, you guys are avid travelers and frequently are in other states and other countries. Recently, you spent Thanksgiving with your new bestie, Stefan Diggs at Ford Field. And I heard he was really pleased that you could make it. So... Please tell us what your favorite part about traveling is, what your next trip might be, and what was it like meeting your new BFF? Oh, Lisa, what's traveling mean to you? Uh, traveling is where all of our disposable income goes, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't travel at all growing up, so I, I think I probably fueled this obsession quite a bit. Most recently, we found it really fun to, to go to these Bills Road games. So when we had the opportunity to go to Detroit for Thanksgiving. We said, this is, you know, a wonderful opportunity. And we ended up uh, sitting right behind the Bills bench. And which is, which I think might be the only way that I could ever watch another Bills game in in person attendance, because they come right up to you. You hear players talking behind the bench. It's, it's really surreal experience. And you get just the next to players, girlfriends and and fiancés. So (laughs) that's amazing. So, yeah. made also, a new also really good friends. Excellent. I love this story. Yeah. Yeah. Brittany doesn't know, but yeah, you know, just no. really. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, our I don't know our Latin, where were we over well, the summer we went to Detroit. On yeah. Detroit, uh, before we went from Detroit, sure. uh, we we went to a Bills. So they had a Bills Mafia takeover in Detroit. So it was basically you know they put on social media Bills Mafia is going to take over this bar, and it was really it was a cool old building, it was maybe a three story building. And they had a big tent outside set up and live music was playing. And there's a line just, I mean, around the corner down the street. And we were just eating um, at Detroit Brewery Company. It was awesome food, had chicken wings because we like to try chicken wings everywhere. There's just Bills fans everywhere. You're just walking around high-fiving everybody. It's just complete Buffalo fans everywhere. 
Did the wings hold up in Detroit? Honestly, they were really good. Yeah, I enjoyed them. All right, yeah. cool. Uh, and they, they came with blue cheese ranch was not an option. So Wow. Yes. So they knew it. Okay. So we go to this bar and there's this line around the corner to get in and there's people kind of in line with us. And I said to Lisa, I said, I'll be right back. And then Elisa kind of, you can take over the story. Yeah. The people that were standing next to me in line, they're like, where'd he go? I'm like, oh, he's going to go pay the bouncer money. So I don't have to stay in the stand in this line anymore. That's exactly what Jim did. Nice. <laughs> so then I wave her over and she, she goes. And I'm like, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Tim was that guy. Yeah. I mean, for, what's, what's, worth, what's worth my time waiting in line for an hour or paying some kid that doesn't care $20? Like, True. It, it just makes sense. Especially if it makes your wife happy too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> happy yeah. So yeah, but it was it's just I mean it's just Bills fans everywhere. It's a really, really good time. It's mm-hmm. uh if you've never gone to an away game for your favorite team, I would recommend it. It's it's really is a blast. Yeah, and the people in Detroit were very friendly oh, too. Super friendly. Mostly most of them were Canadian anyway. So I mean they like <laughs> apologized to us, you know, for <laughs> so sorry our team's so bad. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. They're not even bad anymore though. No, actually, no. I thought they we, had a we low key season. cheered. We low key cheered for the Lions this season because of Hard yeah. Knocks. We yes. kind of fell in love with Dan Campbell. They were fun yeah. to watch. They were fun on Hard Knocks. Yeah, Dan Campbell's a very entertaining person. They got a lot better. I mean, th- I mean, literally, we almost lost that game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was close. And honestly, didn't they not lose? Like they, they, went they on almost the made in the playoffs. That. Yeah, they almost made mm-hmm. it in eight in a row. We talked about it on the podcast. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys have a podcast? <laughs> it's so weird, right? <laughs> Who knew? What do we got coming up next, Tim? We... Oh, the next. Well, I guess it depends. Uh, what does a trip constitute? Because we some do like mini, we do like mini trips, and then we do kind of like big trips. I guess. What's the next big one? All right. So, like, a life goal for us was to get to this point where we could scrimp and save and you know pay off debt, whatever, to get to the point where we could go on quarterly trips. So it's kind of like a it's like I don't know one of our core values, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And so the next big trip is usually Easter. Um, so we're going to Puerto Rico and we have a cruise out of San Juan that goes down to the Southern Caribbean. So like your Aruba, Bonaire, Curacao, uh, St. Lucia and St. Kitts. So should be a really good time. Wow. Got an extra day in San Juan, which if you've never been to San Juan, it is one of the coolest towns in the world. It is so much fun. The food. The beautiful alcohol, too. Yeah. The music. Yeah. Oh, the I like San Juan a lot. Lisa, That's where uh, Steph's family is from. Oh, hey, yes. my wife too. So weird. So, oh, yeah, so right. Weird. Imagine Wouldn't that. You know? <laughs> it's like they're related. Oh, yeah, it's so amazing. Lisa signed us up for an excursion today. What'd you sign us up for? Uh, we're doing some like night kayaking outside of um, San Juan, right? That sounds badass. Oh, that sounds That's amazing. Cool. Fun fact: the night kayaking comes with complimentary glow stick paint. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, like, because there's bioluminescence in the water, and you will glow because of the paddling. Yes. Huh. Hmm. That's super cool. So it's like what cruise line are you guys going? We are Norwegian we, cruise line. We like not that. a sponsor. Cruise Norwegian. Yeah. yeah. Norwegian was our last cruise. I like cruising a lot. We've recently become slightly fancy with cruising, and it's hard to go back. Well, to go from Carnival to Norwegian, it's a different experience. Oh, totally different. And not that Carnival is bad. It's just like you do yeah, more alcohol tastings on Norwegian and more running around with your shirt off on Carnival. You know. <laughs> Some of the best times I've been, like, been on a bar crawl on a carnival ship. Remember, yes. Pete? Yeah. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> I don't know how much I remember the end of it. 
My mom's going to be so mad, but I don't think she'll listen to this. <laughs> you got to tell the story. My mom was trying to walk into a bar where Pete and I were, at least Pete and I were all there drinking and stuff. And my mom mm-hmm. was trying to walk into the bar through this glass doorway. But what she didn't realize is the glass doorway was an elevator. Oh, no. The elevator started going up. We're just like, no, where are you going? It's an atrium. So we're watching her go seven floors up. (laughs) We saw her like 15 minutes later. (laughs) She just kind of. dab. Yep. So the term elevator dab was dubbed on that ship. Uh, elevator yes. dab. One of many nicknames Deb received that trip. Oh, yes. Don't bring up Cage. Buns. Yeah, yeah oh, we, no. we won't bring up the... He went there. Cage as, as I, I just went there. Well, I didn't say the whole thing. <laughs> we went to the nightclub one night, and uh, Stephanie might have convinced my, my mother to hop in one of the go-go girl cages. Deborah it was amazing. On that trip. Yeah. By the way, I'm glad she had a great time. Yolo go-go. Deb is what we call my mom. Yep. Yolo go-go Deb. Deb. I like that. I think... It, with a lot of those kind of things, right? Like regardless of your conditions, a, a cruise or a trip is like, it's what you make it. Like if you put into it, if you put the energy in and, and really try to make the most of it and have fun, I think it's less about, you know, how much money did you spend or like how many stars was the hotel? Hey, did you or, just golden rule us? I don't know, I guess. <laughs> nice. I always feel like Lisa and I have our own roles that we always kind of, we naturally fall into when it comes to traveling because we do enjoy traveling so much. It's the thing we, we always kind of strive towards. Because we're, I don't know, I don't know, I guess I wouldn't call us like live to work people. We're more, you know, work to live. It's the type of thing we both enjoy so much. So at least it's really like really enjoys thinking about like the flights and the looking for the prices and looking for kind of like the deals or how to maximize points and things like that. And I'm a, I'm one of these people that I, I love looking at the maps. I'm no, I'm going to go to this island or this town or this city. I'm all over Google Maps. I want to know where the cool bars are. I don't know where like the pavilions are, the concert halls, maybe where there's like piano or just, I don't know, the rooftop bars. I want to know the outlay. I want to know like where I'm going. So thinking about what I want to do, excursions, biking, hiking, you know, what have you. But I wish you kind of fall into our roles naturally when we're trip planning. Yeah, I'm more of the, I think I'm definitely the planner. Tim's more like the practical execution of things. Like in order to get from this point to this point, we need to do this. He's he's very good on his feet in the nuts and bolts thing so that we see and do so much when we when we do travel. It's it's great. Also, great without, Lisa, right there. without Lisa, the trips would probably never happen. She'd be like, oh, I found all these cool excursions we could do today. And I'll be, I'll come back. Like, do you know that some people think that the street signs that say no outlet means those houses don't have power? I read that today. <laughs> <laughs> this summer, too. That was, that was going to be my big point. Oh, that was, a, yeah, the, the last big trip we did was going back to Europe. Three years in the making. Because we had something happen. Was it like um like a virus? You guys might have heard there was a pandemic. It was a thing. Yeah. It, was, it was like a, a thing. Same passing, yeah. yeah. 41% of the country didn't think it happened. We, uh, we eventually got to it, and we traversed all across Central Europe, Germany, Czech Republic. It was my 40th birthday present. So we, we ended it yeah. in Budapest, Hungary, which is the land of Tim's family origins. and Great-grandma. Mm. Yeah. Yes. OG. Did you bring back some paprika? Off the boat. We did. did. Hell yeah, yeah you did. Awesome. And Barb wanted it. Pete's mom wanted the paprika. Yep. I mean, you should just give it to her because she'll make you food with it. Did you guys know that the paprika pepper is American? I did not know that. It originated here. And it went to Hungary and became a big thing? It went to Hungary and became a big thing. Oh. It's so different from the original North American pepper, but it, it does originate here from this this side of the world. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. It's not even that old. It's like maybe uh, 150, 200 years old in their culture. It's not that old. We learned a lot. Wow. 
we went to school, we went to the Hungarian countryside and we found out like these all cool wineries and stuff. And these guys didn't speak a lick of English, but they had some really great wine. Oh, oh man. I'd love to go someday. Yeah, it was beautiful. Just sitting there, we sat like the one, the one last night we were there, we sat on the, the Danube River in the middle of what you'd call like considered downtown Hungary, where you think of all the, the cathedrals and castles that you see from movies and iconic films, stories, TV. All the scenery in that yeah. show that and I just watched with um, Hot Jim Helper. The Office. We or or John Ryan. John, Jack Ryan. Yeah, Jack Ryan. Hot Jim Helper. Hot Jim Helper. Our last night in Budapest, we, we just sat on the river, on the Danube River, and we were passing back and forth a bottle of champagne, watching the kind of kids, you know, pass joints around. It was basically every scene from, what was that show that we just watched? Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. It was every scene from Jack Ryan. It's just I heard the, there's a hot Jim Halpert in that. Hot yes. Jim Halpert. No Beasley, though. Give me the Beasley. <laughs> the bees. Uh, that would be awesome if she made a cameo in Jack Ryan. That would be cool. She is, uh, she's quite the looker in the Dewey Cox, the uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That's a reference. Oh, yeah. Nice songs in there that'll stir your blood up. <laughs> it was a good time. It was just beautiful watching all the lights. He's come like up on that note. Yeah, it was just all the lights come up in Budapest and just sitting there on the river and watching the boats. It was just one of these kind of just I don't know surreal experiences that when you even it comes to traveling, you have to take time to slow down. It was the farthest east we've ever been. Yeah, farthest east so far. This for in, in a couple of years, in, in many many years, for this one's fortieth, we're, we're going to go back to the land of her people, to uh, Croatia. We'll be tied with Pete and Steph. All right, guys, let's say oh, we yes. get started. Are we all ready? Hell yeah! yeah. Me Grimlock love next topic. So, as a follow up to last week's episode, we had mentioned how the officiating wasn't the greatest. Now, while the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles were the number one seeds in each conference, there was a lot of controversy that negatively affected the Cincinnati Bengals, and also the 49ers had to revert to their fourth quarterback and ultimately went back to the other one that only only had one good arm. So, everyone, do we feel the right teams made it to the Super Bowl and? Please try to remain as impartial as possible, Bills fans. I mean, in the end of the day, right? And your cousin called it what that was like week 14. The best teams made it, right? Best teams Um, made it. I don't know necessarily. There are some talk that the Eagles schedule was a little light in the beginning. Two of the best quarterbacks. Some of the best skill players. Two very evenly matched teams. Probably the best tight end in football. The best defenses by far. I mean, it's going to be a shootout. And I think that's what people kind of want. Dedicated fan bases. I mean, it is not going to be a bad Super Bowl. And I think that's all at the end of the day that we want is not a bad Super Bowl. Like, I never thought my team was going to make the Super Bowl. So the Giants had a very successful year. Can we stop for one second and acknowledge that the first thing that you said, San Francisco's fourth string quarterback yeah. had to play for an yeah. opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Can you imagine this poor guy? He probably just got out of his shift at the post office. They were like, <laughs> right. oh, we need you this weekend. We On top of that, he was he was the last you one drafted. You won't have to play. Don't worry about no, it. No, no, no. We're not right. talking about Brock Purdy. We're talking about Josh Johnson. Oh, when Brock yes, Purdy's yes, arm got ripped right. off. Right, right, right. And the fourth guy. And when the fourth, the fourth guy got guy, hurt, they went back right. to the third guy, and With, he didn't well, have an UCL. arm. Like, his yeah. arm was gone, right? It was just yep. on the ground. And <laughs> the fourth quarter was honestly super pathetic because yeah. he couldn't even throw screen passes. 
Yeah, that's right. Weren't they talking about even McCaffrey going in as the emergency? Yeah, yep. they did talk game? about that. Josh Johnson's literally out there holding the playbook in one arm. <laughs> yeah. I can do it. I can do it. I gotta um, call my own play. I actually really wanted the Bengals to go to the Super Bowl um, mm-hmm. so that they could be defeated by the Philadelphia Eagles and be uh. losers for <laughs> Super Bowls and be in the biggest loser club like the Buffalo Like Bills. the Bills, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my hope, but was not meant, meant, meant to be. Is it the Vikings? Did the Vikings have four losses too? Isn't it they, they do. Yeah, Vikings. Yeah, we, beat, we, we beat those slackers though. I want to hear from the phasers. What needs to happen to the Bills for them to make it to the Super Bowl? A new offensive line. That's probably really key. A um, running back. Yeah. Yeah. Just one. So we need to trade for a better coach. Oh, <laughs> oh he said oh. it. You know, I, I am not a big Sean McDermott fan either. I really am not. Now, I have to give him a props, and we did mention this on the podcast on a previous episode. I thought the way he handled the DeMar Hamlin situation was phenomenal. As a man, I, I, I think he did a phenomenal job on how he handled that whole thing. But as a head coach, yes, I think he has knowledge gaps or, or, or whatever that he doesn't have. I don't think he quite has that, what it takes to win a, ch- a championship. Having, having lots of class and decorum does not get you to a Super Bowl and much less win it. You need mm, to yeah. complete picture. And I'm, I'm big Sean McDermott fan. He's been great for this city, but yeah, it's just there's something about the decision making ability, especially in times that are difficult, that is really questionable. And I want to get behind him, but it's, you know the odds are not in his favor. When you look at you know when a new co- head coach comes in, and if they're going to win a Super Bowl, it's going to be within you know five years. So it just yeah. not happening. So it might be time to to look elsewhere. This is our Tony Dungy moment, unfortunately. Mm. It's going to be tough to move on from him, but I, I get it. I think you guys have offensive blinders on too. And you see it with every team across every sport that has skill player superstars. That last game where it's like a blizzard and there is tons of coverage and you can't make a pass over 10 yards, but you still try. And then when you're not throwing passes to Stefan Diggs on, you know, big bomb routes, He's just running. And so you become very one dimensional and very easy to guard. And that's what the Bengals did. They were like, okay, you have to beat us short. And they couldn't, just couldn't do it. Yeah. It's, you, you need, when you looked at all the weapons of the teams that were in the, you know, the, the divisional round, I guess, and you compared the weapons side by side, and all these teams have three, four guys that are just amazing. We have mm-hmm. digs. Yep. We have digs. And I said this in another podcast and I almost got <laughs> shot for it. Well, we we corrected you. you we corrected you for because well, Tim mentioned Stefan Diggs. You happen to say yes. there's no good skilled receivers, and we're all like, well, what about Stefan Diggs? And I said, aside from Diggs, <laughs> I did say, <laughs> yeah, like, backtrack very quickly on that one. Yes, we have good skill position players. They are not utilized by our offensive no. Board. I don't think so either. Right? Why yeah, they got Hines, and they barely use them. Great, relying as a, a person like Gabe for your number two, and like McKenzie, I love him to death, but. You know, he's not Tyler Boyd and Gabe is not T Higgins. Like you need that level minimum as your WR two and three to get anywhere in the league now. Like you really need a one A and one B yeah. for your outside guys. I agree with that. But they all you also have to they also have to financially fit, right? Because the Bengals got lucky with them all being on rookie contracts. I mean, I mean good, you can good for them res- for drafting that well. 
Buffalo just has to, you know, draft a receiver sooner than round five and, you know, they'd have a guy. So I have a question. Where where do you think they would have been with Von Miller? Would, mm. Could they have made it a little further with Von Miller? Not necessarily win. Now, having Von Miller doesn't fix the offense. No. It's difficult because when you think about the way the Bills kind of ended their season, it really felt like there was a, the, you know, it was very anticlimactic. They kind of struggled through all the last, they won. I mean, they kind of the end of the season, like a nine game winning streak or whatever it was, but right. they struggled through all of these games. They didn't put these bad teams away. They barely beat the bears for God's sakes. It was just, they, they, they really struggled. And I think maybe with a player like Von Miller on defense, maybe those struggles aren't as difficult and your confidence going into the playoffs is a little better mm-hmm. and going into that Cincinnati game. Maybe you're playing better. I don't know. I mean, I want to say Von Miller's injury resulted in Demar Hamlin's injury. That's no, that's not right. But I just I think if you have Von Miller back there, I think the team's probably humming along a little better going into the playoffs. Because how many times have we seen momentum? Hello, the Giants. Uh, (laughs) Momentum means everything Mm -hmm. comes to the playoffs. Sure. You. I mean, I. I mean, who knows what can happen, David? Sure. I mean, before the defense just was rife with injuries like look at the bills were embarrassing teams in the beginning of the season like over and over again like it 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 was like it was laughable and then you just saw that defense just go down one by one by one by one every week yeah. and then losing line you're right that that was a big but one. i mean we also saw a lot of teams that were cruising like the the ravens who were scoring 40 a game and lamar jackson was unstoppable and then teams figured it out and i think the difference between um, professional football and college football, and that's what they always say, the guys who come in right away and they think they're going to be really successful and they're not, is the defenses are exponentially better. Exponentially. And so even bad defenses can recover and, and you know, they can plan for kind of one-dimensional offenses. And so I think, I mean, that was the problem with the Giants last year. We didn't have any running, no running game at all. And we didn't have passing. So you could just, you know, you can stack the zone and nothing would happen ever. But it sounds like to close this, like the the two right teams are in the Super Bowl because they have their shit together and they have great coaching. I think the Bengals. I think the Bengals are better than the Chiefs, though. I concur. Mm. <laughs> they don't have Patrick Mahomes, though. Do we? Do we have? They don't have do we have picks for the Super Bowl yet? Yes. No. Maybe Eagles. Pete. I thought we go Eagles. Yeah. yeah, I say Eagles by ten. Tim. I think the Chiefs blow them out. I really do. Oh, I'm so torn on this. I've gone back and forth. There's so many things to consider. I mean, this is Jalen Hurts' first Super Bowl, and there's always bright lights. But then again, Patrick Mahomes is not 100%, and that Eagles D-line is just phenomenal. Defense wins playoff sports across the board every time. I think I'm going with the Eagles. I think I'm, I think this final, I'm gonna, I think my final's going to be 34-27 Eagles. Call it fate. Call it luck. Call it next topic. So, speaking of Super Bowl, Travis and Jason Kelsey will accomplish a very interesting thing this week by becoming the first brothers to ever play against each other in a Super Bowl. This is also the year where they, like us, coincidence, started a podcast. And yes, Mm -hmm. Travis, I did just subscribe. Uh, The brothers used to go weeks without talking to each other, each being caught up with their own life, and now they talk weekly, going over stories growing up, serious athletes, and how they differ drastically. So do we think the podcast and more importantly, the set time to talk to each other helped them both have incredible seasons? And and just what we were talking about now, in this battle of offense versus defense, who's the better Kelsey brother? 
That's a great question because, you know, the podcast is completely different and separate from your professional life. I mean, we do this podcast and none of us are, are in the industry or anything like that, but we all do it because it's fun. And it's a nice little break from from the week. So I, I wouldn't doubt it if they kind of feel the same exact way. Uh, so it could have a little effect because you have a little bit of that work-life balance if you're if you're doing something fun on the side along with your professional job. Uh, with regards to the better Kelsey brother, while while Travis is a little bit more in the spotlight and he's a little bit more of a jokester, I actually think Jason is the better Kelsey brother. I mean, the man's a center. He's definitely going to be mm. a Hall of Famer as well. I mean, they're both going to be Hall of Famers, let's face it, but... He's, he's they the could not man. be more different looking They're at so them different. next to their tiny little mom. My <laughs> God. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess I, I had Travis Kelsey on my, my fantasy team. He was pretty much the only person scoring points. Um, <laughs> that was a hell of a pick, though. Draft pick for me. I don't regret that at all. Um, he's one of the greatest offensive players in the league at that position. He's maybe the greatest tight end ever to play the game. Potentially. In my he's, opinion, and he's putting uh, Gronkowski uh, for uh, on a run. A hundred more points than the next guy. That's what so Pete quoted the other day. Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. and then the other guy is Travis Kelsey's brother. Like <laughs> I, that's all I. That's all I've got. He's <laughs> fair enough. Um, yeah, he's just the other Kelsey. Well, unless your site goes like Pete and I, who knows defensive players? Like, who knows them, right? And well, he's an, even offensive lineman. That's even worse because most right. people don't who have knows offensive, offensive linemen. linemen. Right. Apparently this sicko right here. <laughs> you knew Mark Kelso. Does that count? Yeah. <laughs> I knew Mark I knew Mark Kelso. Didn't you go to your church? He, he like growing up? Church, but I remember that. Later in life, he used he was a regular customer at my subway. Because he was no coach at a local high school. He was on the Chiefs, I think, a couple years ago, or maybe it was the last year. I don't know if he was on it this year. He was a fullback on the Chiefs and he went to my high school. Oh wow. Yeah. Whoa. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't know what his name is off the top of my head, but mm. it was really cool to have uh, someone from my high school on an NFL team. Just for some um, from some centering for people who don't know, Jason Kelsey is 6'3", 295. That's a big boy. Mm. That's a big boy. That's not as tall as I thought, though. Yeah, Travis is taller, right? Tall, is he 6'4", 5'? Do we know? I'd imagine. Travis is 6'5". Okay. What is their podcast called, John? It's called... New Heights with Jason and Travis Kelsey. Uh, I was going to say Kelsey um, to Kelsey. Just yeah. <laughs> Two brothers, one ball. Good, yeah. <laughs> I'm right on top of that. Next topic. I apologize if this name is going to cause some stress for some people, but we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Now, he's certainly not your average run-of-the-mill quarterback. He recently stated on Pat McAfee's show that he will be spending, quote, four days of darkness, end quote, in an isolation retreat. According to Rogers, this is something where he'll be in a little house with no light and a slot for food to be delivered. Of course, he is also a future Hall of Fame quarterback that is currently with the Green Bay Packers, but there is speculation that he might go elsewhere. So everyone, what is Aaron Rodgers' legacy and who will he play for next year? Can someone's legacy be homelessness? He does look, he has looked homeless he, more and more. He looks lately. more ragged every I mean, season. For he sure. looks <laughs> like he lives under a bridge in Wisconsin, and I don't know what happened to him. And it happens so quickly. Just wait for the four days of darkness to be over. And Why is he doing really four days like? of darkness? What, what is that? He even? needs time to think. Think That's about his being a millionaire. <laughs> he uh, essentially. 
people have too much money. This is what happens when people have too much money. You simulate prison. That's what this is. He's he's in <laughs> solitary confinement. You get through through a slot. <laughs> like they call it the <laughs> yeah, pretty. And he's paying money to do this. Like this is he needs to. I've never seen. I, I'm with you, John. I've never seen a quicker descent into a re- irrelevancy. Quicker than and her. madness. Like he looks crazy. He yeah. looks like he smells like pee. <laughs> <laughs> he's a visual representation of your wow. <laughs> you know he's uh, he, he's married to Shailene Woodley right who also is not your average run of the mill actress she's she's Diver- got some what's that divergent actress is divergent that- actress yes she's, she she's got some weird tendencies too isn't he much older than she is oh yes yeah. <laughs> Mm. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't help my image. Doesn't help my image of Aaron Rodgers. I gotta tell you. <laughs> now he's just a creepy old homeless man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think his last days uh, with the Packers have happened. I, I think so I, too. I, if he plays next year, it'll be on a different team. And what team do you think that will be? Do you think you'll fi- follow Nate Hackett? I feel like it's going to be the Raiders. Or yeah, look, yeah, Devontae Adams. It could Can also it, be. Jets. It, it might please, be the I, Jets. I, I love how no. so all, all of the free agent quarterbacks that are out there are like saying, oh, the Jets are like a good quarterback away from going to the Super Bowl, which is kind of BS. But, I don't know if they're quite but they've, they've Their defense is great. Their defense is pretty good. Then they have good skill players as well. All of the free agent quarterbacks, they've seriously, oh, imagine them on the Jets. Like they've done the same thing with Derek Carr. They think Derek Carr would be a great fit on the Jets. Maybe an upgrade. I might be wrong here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't the Panthers have a history of like resurrecting gently used bargain bin quarterbacks, like Mm. and putting them into play? Is Aaron Rodgers bargain bin? I think he will be now. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. He's under contract still, so and it's Mm. it's uh it's he's gonna be owned like fifty million dollars or something, something outrageous. So yeah, That's he's definitely won't be bargain based. Well, the Raiders are going to have enough money, and the the Raiders are definitely going to part ways with Derek Carr in this off season. And Devontae Adams will ask mm. for him. I think all of that really makes sense. He already has. Well. He already has. So yeah. I think all of those things are going to probably go into the picture. Um, and I brought up Nate Hackett because didn't Aaron Rodgers used to play for Nate Hackett? He did. Um, and so Nate Hackett is on the Jets. I think they also need a quarterback. So, I mean, I think those are the two front runners as far as where he lands. But I I would be less surprised. What about the 49ers? He, I, I think the 49ers really like this no. Brock Purdy story as long as they can find they, his arm. No, they, need, they need to find Trey his Lance arm. and Brock Purdy, they're going to roll with. I think Garoppolo is going to have to find a new team. Isn't yeah. Trey great? Well, he He's supposed was to drafted very high. But never really he hasn't gotten a real chance yet. So, someone really laid it. Someone started. laid it out. In the last six years, he's played seventeen games. That's not good. That's I'm including fine. college. Yeah, because he's only what third year, second year, the second year. Yeah, he's young. This is his second year, but he he like rarely played in college. Like the, his senior year or the whatever the last year he was in college, he didn't play. But the the talent's off the charts, though. You, you've got to give is him it? a fair shake. <laughs> I think so. Well, the okay, we'll say the potential is is very high. I don't know. He's another running quarterback. Not. He's no Justin Fields. Uh, I, I think like, it's I mean, the Niners, and you are a quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl. Let's be honest. They are. Why yes. wouldn't you go for Rodgers? Yeah. Yeah. That's 
That's a fair argument. By the way, that's that's a that's a big thing. We're a quarterback away from winning the Super Bowl. I mean, that's the most important position on a football team. I know. Like, I think everyone but can say that. I feel like though for the 49ers, it's Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson. Yeah, for the 49ers, it's actually true. Their team is so good everywhere else. How funny would that be if the 49ers won with Josh Johnson? Their fourth <laughs> string quarterback. <laughs> Almost as funny with winning with Nick Foles. Like, okay. Right, yeah, that that happened. But he was I mean, a backup. Weird things that happened, right? <laughs> yeah, and then Nick, I, 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 I remember that. I, for whatever reason, yeah. Nick Foles can only play on the Eagles. I also love that. Although I think he, he, he played. Oh yeah, he's. Yeah. I, I, I remember after it was it was a year after he won the Super Bowl, right? He signed a big contract with someone, and my God, that, that, that worked out great. Hey, not, nothing <laughs> happened. <there. laughs> You built a time machine out of a next topic? So guys, with the NFL season ending, it's time to recognize the evolving NFL offense and discuss the changing quarterback position in the NFL. And so we've been talking about it already, but the dual threat quarterback is becoming a dominant force in the league and certainly here to stay. The top five quarterbacks all rushed over 700 yards with Justin Fields topping a surprisingly large 1,143. Uh, besides Justin Field, this list includes Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, and surprisingly, my boy, Daniel Jones, who runs like a gazelle. Diddy Dimes. So, will running back style speed become a requirement in the NFL quarterback, and how will defenses start to adjust? Do you know what gazelles run like, John? <laughs> yeah, they run like Daniel Like Dimes. Daniel Jones. <laughs> <laughs> majestically a gazelle majestically like a tall white person <laughs> <laughs> he kind of runs like a three-legged giraffe <laughs> 700 rushing yards i'm not sure how it happened everything the giants do in the last two seasons surprises me brian dable's brian dable brian yes, dable happened he and he by the way won yep. that nfc uh coach of the year yep it's good for congrats him. Yep. Wonder. Tim, the uh, the day the Giants got Dable, I I just told John, "Hey, you're welcome." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "For Brian Dable, <laughs> he is he is phenomenal." I I didn't yeah. I thought it Sorely was a good hire. I did not think that the the effect of Brian Dable would be as quick as it did. Like I didn't think the Giants were going to make the playoffs. I actually thought I mean, they were just, just wipe their hands. Team Daniel Jones mm-hmm. is fixed. Yeah, yes. Let's sign him to a thirty million dollar contract. I, I, who do they franchise? I mean, they're going to try to get them both. So who do they franchise tag and who do they sign? You never uh, sign a running back. You never. No. Ever yeah, I don't sign think they're going to sign Saquon. I really don't. You just I buy one. Yeah. Like people, people are going to learn from Ezekiel Elliott that you can't sign a running back to a big, especially one that's been injury prone in his career mm-hmm. to a big contract. Never. I forget ever. what the question was now. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was the rushing QB. Oh, oh the rushing the quarterback. Modern, the modern it's exi- quarterback. It's concept, existence yeah. in the NFL. I mean, just take a look at most of the quarterbacks in the league now. That they 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 are pretty much all dual threat. You know, with the exception of the Mac Joneses and the Tom Brady's of the world. Uh, and that's going Brady's really well done, for them. Though. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need to have like like Justin Fields' speed. I think. Or Kyler Murray speed. I mean, uh, Justin Herbert, he's definitely not one of the fastest, but he can still move around in a pocket. Although he's more, he's actually kind of probably considered more of a pocket passer. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he was always a pretty mobile. I know he's a little older now, but he's he's definitely, he, he was never as fast as uh, as them, but he he was he's was considered and still is kind of a, a mobile quarterback. So again, if you just look at the rosters, it's the strictly pocket passer is, 
is definitely going away like the dodo bird and the and the woolly mammoth. So yeah, it's things have definitely changed. From a viewer viewership standpoint, it makes it much more exciting to watch. I think people want to see these quarterbacks scramble. I mean, look at the AFC Championship game. We're watching Patrick Mahomes run around on a bum ankle, and we're we're watching it. You know, I mean, it, it makes it um, more unpredictable. We're seeing them be creative and responsive, and I don't know. It makes for great plays just watching. You know, I would argue that yeah, and I would argue that coaching is caught up with the athletes too. Think about players mm-hmm. like Randall Cunningham. How great would he be if yeah. he didn't have a coach that was lived in this di- defensive dinosaur world that wouldn't even be fathomable nowadays? Like Steve oh, Young. Yeah. Imagine how Steve <laughs> Young. Yeah. Well, and, and you look you look at the way offenses are run that, and they're like the quarterback's gonna run, yeah, <laughs> like a little bit, but like yeah, all the time. Nah, forget that. But now that coaching is centered and focused around this, this type of uh, you know offense, it's now you see how how explosive it can be. Finally, they're, they're adapting to the players. The ripple effect can be felt in fantasy as well, too, as that might, you know, change drafting strategies too. If you essentially have someone who can throw the ball and run it. Absolutely. Oh yeah. It, it it makes quarterbacks relevant in fantasy. Well, and it makes running backs less relevant. Why you pay Saquon Barkley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Third round pick, get another one. Good good callback. Yeah. The offensive line makes the running back in my opinion. We, we've seen that time and time again. Yep. The the best lines always produce the best running games. I'm going to show my age right now, but my my all-time favorite running back is Barry Sanders, and Barry Sanders never had an offensive line while playing for the Detroit. Okay. <laughs> he was a unicorn, though. Like, and I'm not, that's not just like a figure of speech. Like, he was an actual unicorn. I'm pretty With sure. With the horn and everything. The horn and everything, <laughs> yep. I mean, you couldn't see it because of the helmet, but. I would say the like, best example is the Denver era running backs where it was just kind of always next man up, where it was. It was Terrell Davis, and then it was it was like Craig Anderson, and then it was it yeah, was there like were a lot running Mike backs, Sh- and they were all wonderful. It was just a dead yep. line. Mike Shanahan, that was the head yep. coach at the time. He had a phenomenal way of just. You're right. Clinton Portis was in there as well. Yep. Just the, yeah, next next man up, and they were all like like Hall of Fame worthy when they played for Mike Shanahan. So, and you you take a look at his son now, Kyle Shanahan, almost doing the same exact thing in San Francisco. So then I have I an interesting twist the- on the question, right? So Bryce Young, mobile, dual threat, Alabama's probably going to go first, probably to the Texans. CJ Stroud on Ohio, more of a passer, and he'll probably be the second um, quarterback that goes and probably to the Colts if the Colts draft a quarterback in the first round. So what do you think about the difference between the young um, NFL draft prospects for QB? I have never had a high opinion of a quarterback that comes out of Ohio State because there's really never been a good one. And a lot of them that have become that have played in the NFL have turned into wide receivers or, or tight ends. So I don't have a high opinion on CJ Stroud. With regards to Bryce Young, I've gone back and forth with this one. Before this season, I didn't think he was going to turn out to be that that good. I mean, Alabama quarterbacks haven't been the greatest either. There, there was one commentary that was made on 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 one of the shows that I saw earlier. Bryce Young is one of those quarterbacks uh, that he doesn't have like that, that that huge athletic wide receiver to go with him, like Jamison Williams last year. So Bryce Young did not have like those big name, uh, yeah, the Justin Jeffersons, the Chase. Uh, uh, the Jamar Chase. Jamar Chases. Um, <laughs> oh, that he was LSU though. Sorry, uh, but yeah, didn't have that big name wide receiver. So, but and Bryce Young still had a, a pretty good year and almost a Heisman Trophy winning year too. So, um, 
he could be it, but I don't know. I, I'm a big, I'm a firm believer, and maybe this is because Tom Brady was my quarterback for 20 years. You don't need a first-round quarterback. I think you you tend to, you should probably go with someone that's going to be automatic, like right off you're the a QB, bat. You a QB streamer? I am a QB huh. streamer. High intelligence. Brock Purdy, man. Sure. Brock Purdy, Mr. Brock Irrelevant. Purdy, yes. Well, you know, right. another interesting thing and something we've talked about, Bryce Young, six foot tall, CJ Stroud, six three. So, yeah, the short quarterbacks sometimes don't last very well. Yep. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the last non first round quarterback to win a Super Bowl that wasn't Nick Foles or Tom Brady. I mean, this the stat is of the of the years of the of the Super Bowl, thirty of the win- quarterbacks that have won have been first round picks. It's pretty overwhelming. Mm-hmm. McFly, I have your car towed all the way to your house and all you have for me is next topic. So the Dallas Cowboys, after their divisional round loss to the 49ers, cleaned house with their assistant coaches and then ultimately parted ways with their offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Their head coach, Mike McCarthy, decided that he will take over the play calling duties for next season after a disappointing offensive year. Meanwhile, Moore has since landed with the Los Angeles Chargers as their offensive coordinator. So, everyone, was Kellen Moore the issue with the Cowboys' offense, or is Mike McCarthy on his final days as Cowboys head coach? You look at the response from Dak Prescott already, and he's sad Kellen Moore left. I think Kellen Moore is the reason that the Cowboys were kind of okay this year. I mean, on top of the fact that CD had a breakout year, and Dak stayed mostly healthy, and Tony Pollard had a breakout year. I mean, the Cowboys looked really good on that side of the ball. I've never thought McCarthy was that great of a coach. Yeah, I think McCarthy's the problem. And Kellen Moore's going to do great in Los Angeles. They were, uh, statistically, they were about mid-level for yards on offense this year. Now, Dak did miss four or five games because of He missed a number right in the beginning, yeah. Um, But the year last year, they were number one in points and number one in yards. So it's kind of a big drop-off. Yeah, well, I mean, how many did... Zeke even put a uniform on this year? Oh, yeah. Zeke, I think Zeke played... He did he well. Play, I think he played all but like two games this year. I was shocked to learn they were 12 and 5. Yeah. 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 They turned it... They started great. Then they had a, a lull. That's probably where all their five losses came from. And then they turned it around again. There was a chance that everyone in the NFC East was going to make the playoffs. I'm with Pete. I've never really thought Mike McCarthy was that good of a coach. I think he fell He's into... Not. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers led Green Bay Packers team that yep. just had lightning in a bottle, won a Super Bowl, and then he literally faded into nothingness. Yeah. And then popped yeah. back on the Cowboys radar, and everyone's like, what are you doing? And right. Yeah. Green I, Bay continued to be good in spite of him, not because of him, I thought. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And with the Cowboys, I mean, the fact that he's got Dan Quinn and his defensive coordinator. I think has definitely helped him because that defense definitely came out of nowhere uh, last season, not this past year, but the year before that. Uh, of course, having like Michael Parsons doesn't hurt too. But Roger. with, yeah, <laughs> uh, hmm. I, I have not been impressed with Kellen Moore though. I mean, I, I think his play calling has been subpar. Uh, I mean, Dak did have 15 interceptions this year. That's the most that he's, he's had. And, uh, his, he had the lowest rating since the, his second year in the league. I mean, it's definitely going to be different. And uh, I actually think that Jerry Jones secretly wishes that Sean Payton was was going to wait one more year so that he could hire him in 2024. <laughs> you didn't you didn't slip him a note in the, you know, listen to this I episode of the podcast, Jerry. I have I this idea have. for you. You should hire me. You know, I uh, has anyone seen a picture of Jerry Jones lately? He got old. <laughs> 
mean, he's <laughs> like just this year. I mean, he's I, I don't essentially, know. He's essentially Mr. Burns. So yeah, he I, he's starting to look more and more like Mr. Burns, like a real life Mr. Burns. Excellent. Yes, I think I, I see. There was an interview. I swear he actually put his fingers together. It's like excellent. I I don't like the owners like Jerry Jones and like Jim Ursay. They just they're too over the top. I just don't think teams like that are going to win anymore. You have to yeah. trust your people. Trust the experts. You're not an expert. You're just rich. Right. You're just meddling <laughs> with people that know more than you. Yeah, he's an expert with money, not necessarily in football operations. They made the Cowboys owner on the, the, the rock show ballers really gross. Not Jerry Jones, but Jerry Jones gross. In his likeness. Was that yeah. his, Was that the character's name? Was Jerry Jones gross? No, 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 no it wasn't. That sounds yeah. great, Jones, though, by the way. Jerry Jones peaked when he did the draft live from a giant super yacht. Like, uh, <laughs> I was like, that's all right. Like, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at my job. I don't try to fly a plane. <laughs> I'm, good at one, I'm good at all things. Well, you know, he was good 30 years ago when he drafted five. Troy Aikman, yeah. Emmett Smith, and Michael Irvin. And he kind of just goes on those laurels. It's like, I was good 30 years ago. He's got Tony yeah, Bowl. Right. Too. Don't forget to <laughs> I think Dak Prescott is actually a pretty good franchise quarterback. I don't know if he's worth the contract that he got signed to, but he's. I would build a team around Dak. And CeeDee Lamb is obviously good, although CeeDee Lamb, I think, would have been better had they kept Amari Cooper. Because I think yeah, CeeDee yeah. Lamb... 100%. I think CeeDee Lamb is a 1A and not a 1. Again, this is the argument, again, for needing two number one receivers, or at well, least like they a they couldn't keep Amari and sign Zeke to that horrendous deal that they signed him to, so that's why they had to get well, rid of Amari. Uh, that's why they shouldn't have signed Zeke. Pollard is just as good or better this season, and it's he's so a lot cheap. cheaper. Well, again, rookie deal. T.Y. Hilton, I don't think, kept up his end of the bargain. I just think that... I don't think that Dak Prasad is good or bad. He's just market rate. That's just what a winning quarterbacks. He's better than... He's, 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 you know, he's more good than bad. Dak Prescott or 2023, 22, 23, Daniel Jones. Oh, it's Dak. amazing. NFL don't even have a mark. <laughs> Sorry. They don't even have the Dak Prescotts. They're, they're, it's still like, it's amazing. It's just, there's, you know, 20 teams have a quarterback, 10 don't. It just always yeah. seems to be the, the way it goes in this league. Mm-hmm. What happened to Russ, you guys? Old. He's broken. He's not, he's not that old. No, I know. He's just yeah, he's, he's just thinks short. he's better. He's just, he thinks he's better than the coaching. We'll see what happens with him and Sean Payton. Sean Payton has won a, a Super Bowl and has well, a lot and of respect. Right, you, you, I mean, you called this one too, Mark. You you are the coach whisperer, I think. But I think, yeah. Sean Payton has shown the ability to re- resuscitate washed up quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. He's I mean I, he's he's got very similar dimensions to to uh, Drew Brees. <laughs> No, so are, are we are we saying that the answer to an old flailing quarterback is a guy that won a Super Bowl like 20 years ago? That's what Mark's saying. No, that's <laughs> not what I said. I just said that's probably what is going to happen. <laughs> Do I, I wait, now I, now he he will probably have a pretty big effect on Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson has to actually listen to him. Do I think that Sean right. Payton is going to have a similar effect that Brian Dable had in the Giants? No, because they're in, on just an awful division because between the chiefs and the chargers and who knows what happens with the Raiders, especially if Aaron Rodgers joins them. But that, I mean, the Broncos are they're they're They still have some work to do. I, it, and it all depends on what happens with Russell Wilson. If he actually listens to Sean Payton and, and actually kind of tries to f- fit uh, play the game and, and whatnot, we'll see. 
That's what worries me, though. I don't, I don't, I think he has too much hubris to do that. These old retread coaches, it's just like when the Bills brought back Marv Levy and he's like, No more taking your oh, best. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Saturday night. Oh, right. <laughs> Wasn't he like 80 something years old at that <laughs> oh. point? Just like, yeah. I remember when, when, when Scoots Magoo used to throw 40,000 <laughs> a day. Scoots Magoo, he's my favorite. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, Grandpa. Yeah. Next topic, man. Next topic. So now the questions are going to get a little harder. Still about football, though. So former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick's decision in 2016 to not stand for the national anthem as a protest against the oppression of people of color became a controversial issue and unfortunately probably led to him no longer playing professionally. Kaepernick said he felt it was his responsibility as a person of privilege to stand up for people without a voice. So finally... Over the last year since then, more athletes are using their standing and social media presence to stand up for important social issues. Names like Brittany Griner, Megan Rapinoe, and Michael Sam are all doing their part. And so this is so incredibly important, and it is so good to see that it's happening. But do you guys think that Colin Kaepernick helped continue the work of names like Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and brought sports activism into the 21st century? And what took modern sports so long to catch on? I'm not 100% sure I would compare Kaepernick to to Jim Brown and and like Muhammad Ali and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like names like that. But he did, it, it, and it's such a shame, the fact that he was trying to do one thing and it totally got misconstrued into something else. Uh, and then ultimately, yeah, he did get blackballed by the NFL, which the NFL will never truly admit that. I actually think it was better for Colin Kaepernick's reputation for him not to play because I think later on in his career when uh, he was just not that good of a quarterback, like he had a very very good year when he went to the 49ers. He was a less than average quarterback, in my opinion, but he had a platform, he used it. And unfortunately, it again, it, it got kind of misconstrued into something else. But I, I mean, I applaud some of the athletes that are, are what they're doing right now, like you said, uh, Brittany Griner, Megan Rapinoe, uh, even LeBron James has has tried to get into social issues, which is something that Michael Jordan never did. That's that's a big comparison between LeBron and Michael. I applaud these these athletes just, uh, to use the platform because there are a lot of people listening and watching. Uh, unfortunately, if you're someone like a Kyrie Irving that that thinks that the world is flat, you have a bunch of people that listen to that too. But so you got to take it both ways. Thankfully, most of them are doing it for for positive reasons. The world needs consumers, Mark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think in 2016, too, Kaepernick was um, a bit of a canary in the coal mine in terms of 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 some of these issues of racial inequality, and you know we weren't talking it in 2016. We weren't talking about you know white supremacist rallies and Charlottesville and stuff. That wasn't part of like our everyday news cycle. And now, yeah, it definitely brought these issues to the forefront. You know, we're definitely talking about it in terms of him bringing issues up. But I don't know if I put him in the same class as Jim Brown. You know, from what I've read, he seems to be a bit of a troublesome figure. Something about connection to you know, women and and violence against women. So uh, that one I is a bit troublesome to me. I don't I don't think um, I know that I would make that comparison. But mm-hmm. um, kind of lost my point where I was going with that. Well, I guess I think like from the NFL standpoint, I think they they've tried to. The, I guess the problem I have with everything is like Colin Kaepernick's legacy is going to be the fact that the NFL put end racism at the end of the end zones. And yeah. like, we've and, solved racism. Yeah, right. And they have stickers on the helmets now. And it's 
you know, I know the NFL is trying, but it just, it seems like now they've kind of like adopted it and commercialized it and it's not authentic. It doesn't feel authentic anymore. It feels like a brand. Only kicked, right. kicked Colin Kaepernick out of the league for doing it, which is yeah. really just oh, such yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're reaping the rewards for, for what he did too. Well, I mean, I think that the, the rich and the powerful and the famous, I mean, when you have a million people, fo- a million plus people following you on Instagram, I mean, I think there is a responsibility to that that I think they all really need to take seriously. I, we mentioned it before, but, you know, sports figures are kind of heroes walking amongst us. Whether mm-hmm. or not they should be, they are. Mm-hmm. And so you need to set examples for kids. You need to set examples for men. You need to set examples kind of across the board for what behavior should be because they're going to follow that. And better to talk about things like social justice, racial inequality, than going out late, drinking, abusing drugs and alcohol, you know, better than that, right? Pete, you got anything? I kind of agree with what I think Lisa said. Like, I'm glad that him doing that back then for as much controversy that it was marred in with everything that unfortunately like he kind of fell on his own sword in doing it and sacrificed his career we're still talking about it now and i think it's always tough like it's really really hard to kind of break the mold and and establish these things before other people can kind of take that mantle up and and actually make some real progress with it so i'm forever grateful for him for doing that it's just Maybe like he doesn't have the superstardom that maybe that some of these other people could have, but uh, maybe Colin Kaepernick's vision was just too big because he wanted maybe. to fight racism, which is you know, uh, well, it was more about police reform well, yeah, than racism. He was targeting really. something specific, and which is it's kind of huge... sad that we've gotten worse since. Oh, then, it's got. Like, I, I was just about to say that, Pete. It's kind of gotten worse since him kneeling down. Well, when you put that in comparison to say like Megan Rapinoe, who is fighting for women's wage equality and mm-hmm. professional soccer, like mm-hmm. that is a still very worthy, but smaller and more narrow issue and maybe more achievable because it has a concrete outcome, you know, yeah. Yeah. and this is something like, what does racial equality look like? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's it's hard to put your finger on. Like, when will we know when we've achieved it? It does. It's not a numbers thing. You know what I mean? I mean, I like Michael Salmon as an example, right? The first openly gay player to be drafted in the NFL, kind of normalizing. But you he know. never, he never made it on the, to a team, though. Really, like he, yeah, he got. I mean, he got drafted he by the Rams. U- still using the platform. Yeah, however. he got still drafted by the Rams. About it, still I, I normalizing he, it. I thought he was going to be a phenomenal NFL player, and again, I did too. I actually think he may have been blackballed because of all the publicity. Could be, but at least I mean you had Carl Nassib on the uh, on the Raiders. He he came out uh, last summer, and so he became like the the first official uh, NFL player on an active roster to come out of the closet. Hmm. Did he get cut? And I mean that's the real problem, right? And in something like football, you still have a lot of small-minded people and a lot of people who are living in not 2023 and things like Michael Sam getting in the league and then getting blackballed, even though we don't know if that happened or not is very much in the realm of possibility. My take is when you want to have social activism, activism goals, they need to be geared to this idea of smart goals, like whether it's an acronym, it means specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. And you know, I think you're probably more successful in the example of Megan Rapinoe, not women do things better. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 um, that maybe that's 
you know, maybe a bit bigger directive. So when you when you think about Kaepernick, I guess that that's my problem here is that, you know, that, mm. I don't know if this is a necessarily it's certainly a relevant goal. It should be attainable. Time based. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's an issue as, as old as time. I think the measurable and specific part is maybe where that, you know, that sort of um, seemed to get away from him and, you know, went into the ether. So I think it goes into like the the conversation where if you go after the king, you have to make sure you don't miss. And I think he went after organizations and just like a group that was too big for what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. And he did, he did the best he could. Well, he, did again, the best. And, and, he did the best he could and the momentum of it kind of overwhelmed the plan he had, I think. Well, and people got upset about the action and not necessarily what the action was representing too. Right. That was the, exactly. that became the story. Yeah. Not, not yeah, that just, there's a, you know, we need police reform. It's, Oh my God, this guy hates our country. That's what it turned any, into. Anything to distract from the actual subject matter at hand. Next topic. Next topic. We've got next topic here. See, nobody cares. So our special guests, the phasers are avid do-it-yourself home renovators, including a basement that would rival most sports bars and makes others look like Chuck E. Cheese. There are multiple home improvement shows out there, including the Property Brothers, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, Fixer Upper, and Main Cabin Masters. So everyone, mainly the phasers, what are the best DIY shows to watch and where do we get our inspiration for home improvement projects? Mm-hmm. I'm the best DIY show to watch. <laughs> you should have a YouTube channel, Tim. I'm not going to lie. Basis. <laughs> Watching Tim do projects. I just pick the colors, like, quite honestly. Every time the bills lose, I put in a wine cellar. <laughs> <laughs> this is why your house has so much done to it, because we've had a lot of losing. Yeah, we're going to have to add another floor. Uh, if you know. Or like every time they break my heart. Yeah. You know. Right. Yeah, That that's it. Yeah. So this so- time around. Remodeling a kitchen after where (laughs) did the idea to put a sports bar in your basement come from? Like, are you guys just sitting on the porch one day? That was well conceived long before we moved to our current home. That was something that Tim really, really wanted. He wanted a, you know, your listenership. I don't know if they'll know basements, but an L shaped basement, you know, and, and we have very high ceilings in our, in our house, but specifically he wanted an L shape because, the longer part portion of the L would be the bar area. And then he wanted to enclose a small theater area. And we do have both of those things. There is no wall in between the two of them because after much canvassing of opinions, he did we, debate. yeah, there, we decided no wall. So yeah, Tim, definitely he's all about the projects. There's always something going on in terms of DIY shows. Um, you mentioned one of them. I thought, I think Fixer Upper is a great show. I love the mm-hmm. dynamic. Chip and Joanna Gaines. I think they're even getting their own channel, um, yep. their own network. <laughs> yep. So they're obviously an amazing power couple. And he's so silly and she tolerates him. And I can identify with that. And then uh-huh. there's another one you didn't mention, and it is Love It or List It. This is a show I think they recorded uh. in Canada where the family usually has some sort of inciting problem. Their growth, their family is growing their current, they love their current home, but it doesn't suit their needs. And then they have to somehow mm-hmm. renovate it in order mm-hmm. to stay there or they need to list it, hence love it or list it. So a team comes in, yeah, renovates the house. And that one I enjoy very much because it's a big reveal at the end, like, well, they won't they sort of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And that was a great one. Yeah, that's a, that's a great show. I enjoy it immensely. I, I figured I was trying to avoid listing a lot of the real estate related ones because, I mean, I said Property Brothers, that's probably going to be the the one that most people 
kind of know and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I I do love it, Alyssa too. I also love, by the way, the fact that you didn't want to offend our listeners in the South that may or may not have basements. Mm. <laughs> that was a uh. nice catch there. <laughs> a terrible, terrible crawl space filled with critters and hmm. who knows what else. Yeah. My mom's uncle caught a jaguar in his basement in Texas. <laughs> they don't. It's not Whoa. across the whole South. A jaguar. The jaguar. The jaguar. Jaguar. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't actually do a ton of the shows, uh, so I don't really have an opinion on that. I, I don't. So how, idea. where do you get, yeah, where do you get your inspiration of what you want to do exactly? I usually have a concept of like, as Lisa said, like I had, we bought this house with this concept in mind and this house specifically is, is a ranch. So, uh, the basement covers the entire house and what's very unique about this house is that all of the equipment that you typically have in the basement, like your hot water tank, your furnace, all everything is on one wall and everything else is in kind of like the joist. So it's very high ceilings. There's nothing in between us. So with like literally the only reason I wanted it and she had other, <laughs> but I, oh, I want to wait, wait, I, I want to hear what Lisa's ideas were the basement was. Uh, the soaring 20 foot ceilings in our living room. Are oh yeah. Pretty no, pretty she grand. only cares yeah. about the upstairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, so you, right. you should have your own level. That's nice. We yeah. Do, we do. <laughs> So it was just, I always had this vision and I still have the original piece. So I, I made a scale map of the basement on a piece of drywall and I still have it. It's hanging in my workshop where it's always kind of like the inspiration to this project. And actually this layout is pretty close to the original design, but I think you showed me that piece of drywall like way back. Yeah. It's, it's fun, but it's kind of, it's become a neighborhood hangout spot for all the bills games. And oh, just nice. It's an open house. People just come over, you know, they bring their friends or family or, you know, coworkers and uh, will come. And it's a, it's just really a cool gathering, fun spot. And uh, it's really turned into what we hoped it would be just a, a fun entertainment spot. And everyone brings something and we can do all the cocktails you want. And then we can play Mario Kart to be, if we're sad, if the bills lose. So maybe, maybe yeah. that's the next phase of breakfast with the bills. You just put every, invite everyone to the hot tub. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, hot tub party. <laughs> it's like my, also my fantasy tinker time, though. You know, uh, I got to mm-hmm. my lineup and overthink things and then ultimately lose. Set them or start them. So. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the end result is that Tim is on a first name basis with the pink guy at Home Depot. <laughs> paint lady. She, she's surly and I Lowe's. love her. The surly. <laughs> <laughs> the surly paint lady. Wait, have you invited her to the basement so bar? Surly, but she's so, I love her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's so mean to people. Making spot. <laughs> That's great. I need paint. I'll be back, and they just walk away, and she's like, "What this fucking guy?" <laughs> <laughs> has, she, has she been invited to the basement? We should actually. We she did help. Be, she did coach me on the colors too, because I was showing her. We I literally showed her the mapping and everything I was doing, and the, we, you know, we Lisa and I were really stuck on. We liked the you know the accent wall, I guess, of the the basement, but. You're trying to figure out there's like a, I don't know, what do they call this? Wainscoting across yeah. the bottom. Yeah. So it has a wood look on the bottom and a drywall on top. And we really were trying to contrast the, to give it a wood look. The idea of this, the concept of this bar is like an English pub, like an old English yeah, pub. Yeah, I was going to say, it looks like a pub. Yeah, and we did. We wanted to look aged. So like when I made the bar, it has scuff marks and scratches and dings and dents because I didn't want it to look new. And plus it hides the fact that I'm not that good at this stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it was just it just kind of grew, and every year we put on a little bit more. Like uh, we had a plumber come out and put a bathroom in, and we put the wine cellar in. At least he's got a gym back there, and 
And, you know, it's just a, it's a little project time and everything we need to do something. We just come down here and, you know. There's several hundred pounds of concrete down here. So Only whoever, whoever buys this house hmm. has to either really enjoy this, this countertop or, I don't know, introduce a jackhammer. They're going to have to come in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> <laughs> I never like this bar at all. If you, say, if you sing anymore, we have to pay Miley Cyrus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, having been down there, the place is incredible. So. I mean, it looks incredible every time I see it. It looks awesome. Absolutely, Tim. No function. Topic next without. So, in an interview on Wednesday, Ukrainian tennis player and Olympic bronze medalist Alina Svitlonia pushed on for a total ban on Russian and Belarusian athletes for, from the 2024 Paris Games. She is the latest Olympic athlete to call for a total ban because of the war. She was quoted saying, it's going to be very sad and the wrong message would be sent to the world if the Olympics is going to stay with the decision to put them under a neutral flag. And so while we talked about this previously as a poor worldwide Russian sentiment gains momentum, what do you think the official standpoint should be? And do we think an Olympic boycott is a possibility? I mean, yeah, like, like you said, we've, t we've talked about this before. It's hard to really put a foot down with regards to some of the Russian athletes because they have nothing to do with the war against Ukraine for the most part. Now, they may have had something to do with the doping program, but that's another story. Now, I actually think Russia needs to be made an example of because they shouldn't just be going into, you know, neighboring countries and say, you know, we own you now. Do I think the IOC is going to make a stand like that? No, because as... We've, we've, I think we've mentioned this on previous uh, episodes. IOC is one of the most corrupt uh, organizations that they're they're out there. I mean, the Paris Games, I believe, were were just essentially paid for. That's that's how that's how France got them. And I wouldn't be surprised if twenty twenty eight America did something the same. But that's all speculation. That's all just my own kind of thought. So I no, I don't I don't think anything's going to happen. I think the the neutral flag is probably going to stay. And uh, I don't know, I don't know. We'll see. Russia makes me mad. <laughs> Yeah, that's frustrating because the whole original concept of the Olympics was to put aside war, to put aside conflict and literally be like, at least for the time of the Olympics, uh, come together and compete in a more civilized and nonviolent way. And so like by letting a literal war aggressor in, even under a neutral flag is basically just spitting in the face of that whole concept, in my opinion, at least. Well, and I, I bring up the idea of an Olympic boycott because the Ukrainian allies, Denmark, Poland, the Baltic nations, they're already talking about it. Well, they, they've declared that they, yeah, they, they don't want them at all. Right. To Mark's point, he was saying, you know, not all Russians necessarily on board with this. This is a very hostile government and not everybody has the, in fact, no one has the ability to speak out against the government. So to, lump them all Russians in as, an, as a homogenized group, you know, that reflect these sentiments is, is unfair. But also I second the, you know, the doping scandal, but this is much worse than doping. You know, this affects, you know, an entire country of people. This is, this is life and death and, you know, unconscionable acts of war. So I think to let them go on and compete on a world stage with, you know, what is supposed to be an act of civility and um, the optics of it are bad. It's very, the doping isn't like yeah. individual players doping. It's state sponsored. State doping. sponsored. State sponsored. Right. Gover yeah. Government designed 
Yeah. <laughs> Required yeah. steroid use. They're banned for right. doping. They're, the, you know, they're neutralized for doping. This is so much worse. This is genocide. They're just wiping out a country. Yeah. Well, and the thing, and related to the doping scandal, Olympic athletics is very, very closely tied into government policy in Russia. And it always has been. It's always been a big show for them. And they do make money from winning. And, and just on top of it all, I think... It really shows poorly. It shows poorly for the IOC. It shows poorly for the Olympics as a platform that they and you know when they compete because they're Russia or whatever they you know whatever they compete under they're going to win a lot of medals because of course they are. It's you know the Olympics are a funny thing. It's just kind of a size race. Whoever sends the most athletes generally wins the most medals. Yeah. China, okay. U.S. or Russia, they're usually the ones uh, with the most medals. So, but John, that maybe controversially, but can I? Do we? Do the Olympics matter? Do we really? Care? Oh my God, Tim! I'm so glad you mentioned that. <laughs> about like, the, I care more about the one guy from a country Tonga. in Tonga than I do about all the rich kids that are doing I don't know archery while uh, you know being like yes, skiing down a mountain, like trying to shoot an apple falling out of a tree in the mouth of a tiger or something stupid. Like, oh, like, I pay to see that. Like. The only people that can train for this stuff are rich people. Like, why do we care? I have a very <laughs> controversial opinion about the Olympics and mm. that I don't understand why they exist. Like, people what is what is the point care? of the Olympics? Like, I really, I really don't don't get it. Nationalism. All right, but you know, but it wasn't even about that before. Like, I actually, at, may, at, there was a point, but maybe, yeah, maybe that's, that's not relevant anymore. The, the only reason to me why the Olympics still exists is so the host country can get a lot of revenue from all these tourists. And so most of the competitions, they have their own kind of world competitions on a yearly basis or maybe maybe even by annual basis or something like that. And but I mean, all those competitions are poised to get into the Olympics. Every single... Well, not necessarily. It's the same people. <laughs> well, no, yeah. but it, it, every single thing they do for four years is to rank and get standing to be put on a national Olympic team so that they can make money and get rewarded for this thing that literally takes all of their life's energy while they are adolescent to become the best at. And you have to be the best at and you have to work that way. So, I mean, how do the pole vaulters and the gymnasts become professionals at something that they love? Well, they go to the Olympics. Yeah, but they're not making their money off of gymnastics and pole vault. Yeah, I mean, but they, they are, are, but they are one hundred percent are though. Like, how do you know every single famous gymnast that gets a sponsorship deal? It's because they won a gold medal, right? But they're getting they're getting sponsorship deals because of what they do. But they're they're not making all of their money off of the event that they're they're doing or the sport. But they yeah. are. But they are though. Themselves and I, I think you're talking about the difference between prize money and sponsorship. Yes, yeah. like, absolutely. I mean, I, Every famous gymnast, every famous figure skater, you know, every every famous Olympic athlete has won and dominated their sport and become broadcasters and household names because of it. And I mean, if I wanted to be a pole vaulter, the only way I could be a successful pole vaulter is if I was dominant in the Olympics or then I have to be a used car salesman or something. I can't even name a successful pole vaulter. But isn't they revenue-wise statistically like don't these the host countries always lose money? Absolutely, because they put in so much do, money yeah. in the infrastructure. It's like, and then it's nothing. It just rots away. It's just this is just it's horrible waste. The environmental impact is 
very awful in a lot, in a lot of these countries, especially ones that are like, you know, more so developing nations. It's, mm. There was a great uh, piece I saw on ESPN about Atlanta, like since the 96 Olympic Games, because there's a lot of things that Atlanta built for the Olympics that are we doing absolutely park. nothing now. And yeah, Olympic Park. And like, like it's just like the, they had one of the, the, the baseball fields that they built specifically for the same. And it, it's just it's just a giant. No, no one takes care of it. It's like a giant meadow. Yeah, they at least it just happened in Olympic mm. Park. Yeah, I'm fairly one quick thing regarding like the athletes and measuring of success we may not so yeah to us our perception of them being successful athletes maybe that takes the olympics but for them i mean there's way more things going on uh, on the world stage to big events where they're they're making all their money and notoriety within their field you know and could never do an Olympics and still be considered successful. We just maybe don't know about it because unfortunately the general public doesn't give track and field or some of these other events, you know, as big of a look as we do for the Olympics. You know, I, I don't know why that is. Yeah, I, get, I think just, you guys are total. I mean, and to just, you know, fan the fire of the conversation, I think you guys are totally incorrect because <laughs> to be, to get full, you know, everyone deserves to be able to be successful in their chosen profession, in their chosen field, the thing they love more than anything, right? And if you decide that you want to be an Olympic athlete for whatever sport that you decide to do, the only way to reach the top pinnacle to become a household name is to win an Olympics. There's, I don't know any track athletes, figure skating athletes, any bobsled athletes. I don't know any of them that aren't Olympic gold medalists. Yeah. And I am not, a, you know, I don't run track and field. I am just a regular old 40-year-old white guy who likes sports. So you're, you're right about that. Someone like Simone Biles, we would never know Simone Biles had it not be for the Olympics. We probably wouldn't know people like Carl Lewis had it not been for the for the Olympics. So you're, you're, you're right. It does bring name recognition to, to certain individuals and, and whatnot. But in some respects, well, so what? For, for the public perception, for sure. That, that's what I was saying. Or a medal, Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Went to the Olympics. Um, she had a movie. Yeah, she she yes. did something. <laughs> she also did celebrity yeah. boxing. That was funny. <laughs> I remember that. That's one of my what favorite celebrity boxing matches. Yeah. Well, anyways. Know that I can say next topic in a quarter of a second. So it was reported that courtside seats in Los Angeles for LeBron James's potential games for breaking the career points record were reselling at well over $200,000, and that's not including fees. Also, StubHub has listed the cheapest price for the Super Bowl, as of this taping, at $3,264, and the most expensive at over $32,000. Now, finally, Ticketmaster has recently been under scrutiny for their handling of the Taylor Swift tour, and Congress is actually threatening to break up the merger between Live Nation and Ticketmaster. So, I have very strong opinions about these ticket reselling sites, but I would like to hear from everyone what they think should happen with them and whether or not there needs to be regulations. I love StubHub. I use StubHub for almost every sporting event that I go to. Now, the problem, I think, is that concerts, sporting events, they're all expendable income items. And so when you get a guy like my brother-in-law who is in the 10 club, who goes to see every Pearl Jam contest or contest, who goes to see <laughs> every Pearl Jam concert, 
and he doesn't care what he spends. And then that becomes a large percentage of the people that go to these events, Taylor Swift events, all the really like limited quantity, high, you know, high need supply and demand ticket sales. Then if you can sell a ticket for $40,000 and you sell it, do you or do you just sell it for the seventy-seven fifty that you bought it from from the arena? I mean, it's a real, very core capitalistic question. Should it be regulated? Certainly, everything should be regulated. The idea of a StubHub is it is an open market, just like eBay. So, you know, if you can sell something for the most possible that you can and it happens, do you? Probably. I think the problem that I have is that there are no limitations on buying, right? So we have enhanced buying through computerized software. So we're buying a lot of tickets quickly and we're doing it before anybody else gets a chance. And then, you, you know, robots, exactly. And then we're just making money. And so it becomes, it takes the fun out of it, right? It takes, it takes the organized sporting event or the organized concert and it makes it really hard to go to for us the average person scalpers must die <laughs> scalpers must die exactly that's what i'm saying i um i i would i would like to to um recuse myself from this topic. <laughs> my best friend is a ticket broker and i can get anything i want so <laughs> talk about well, at least you got your. <laughs> but in, you though, right? exactly, you're able, you to, have an you're able to bypass the the worst of the, the problems. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. My best good friend uh, took me to Pearl Jam in Toronto, and I was about six feet away from my my idol Eddie Vedder. So damn. Um, yeah. That being said, we've also been to most recently a stadium show where there were plenty of seats available, and it was the same price all over the entire stadium. We went. We saw Garth Brooks in July in Buffalo at. Mm. Uh, Mark Stadium, and it was a fantastic show. And you know, Garth Brooks played for like three hours. We got our money's worth. But every ticket is a hundred dollars. Every yeah. ticket is a hundred dollars. That's it. Like I know it's a lot of money, but like every ticket is the same price, mm-hmm. right? The entire eighty thousand seats, same price. So it's inconceivable amount of money. You can you can save up for that. You know, I understand there's it's some a three-hour show too. Yeah, you're getting your value. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean that's what that costs, right? And that's what you that go costs. To a yeah. yeah. And those aren't the ones that I'm really I, I'm I, I get angry about. It's it's the it's the ones that are just and in general ticker ticket brokers. I'm I'm not really well. I'm not a big fan of them. I'm not the angry at them, but I am mad at the ticket masters of the world that you know they're the one they're the only game in town. And what they end masters, up doing this has been proven. Left. They buy their own tickets to resell them, and so they are making the money off of the ticket and then the additional fees associated with the reselling and then and then they're just jacking up the prices like i i I do feel bad with the the person that may have spent two hundred thousand dollars on the lebron james courtside seat of the game that he has essentially he already so he did the the game before like there were two games Hmm. at uh in 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 la where lebron could have broken the record and he did in the first one but both games were like well over $200,000. So I feel bad for that second person. Not really, because they had enough disposable income. Hey, they, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they were dumb enough to spend $200,000 on a sports ticket. What's well, a disposable income question, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's really the fact that you, it's 
it's such a it's a Ponzi scheme in a lot of sense with Ticketmaster again buying their own tickets and reselling them. Well, when when Congress has to get involved in a Taylor Swift contest, uh, contest, I said it again. When Congress has to get involved with a Taylor Swift concert, you know that something's going a little south in society. I, it, about it, you're right. You're right. Everyone says when Congress gets involved, things are going to get better. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, don't they have better things to talk about? Like. Tay Tay pops out in the Congress floor to testify. I just, it's you know, all it, seems, it, it all yeah. seems ridiculous, like it's out of a bad sci fi movie. Did, did you hear all of the people on the committee like trying to make those like references to Taylor Swift lyrics and, and whatnot? Mm-hmm. That was that was oh, quite gosh. funny, but also just ridiculous, so stupid. Yeah. Uh, but still, I mean, with 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 the the Taylor Swift people, like they they're the ones they're are grabbing as many tickets as they can, and they're selling them for like five million percent profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that shouldn't be allowed. I don't know how you police that though. I mean, you put limit you put limitations on purchases, right? But you I mean, can't buy people, a thousand tickets to an event. Well, well also right, the ticket like, reseller can seem to be able to circumvent that, and the ticket reseller can put a cap on the amount that you're able to sell. Mm-hmm. True, I type easy but they don't want to a lot of times the concerts are limited to eight tickets robots yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bots robots do. freaking robots well right i mean you have you have a bot that is it is you know being more than one uh, login and buying the maximum tickets on every login it's doing it very quickly it's doing automated. i think we have to go back to uh direct in-person box office sales there you go in that way, when a robot shows up, unless <laughs> it's like the T-800, you know. No, Pete, that was awesome. I try. Gone are the days of handbills and waiting in line for that. Yeah. Calling on the phone. Mm. Sleeping in line. Right, yeah. Oh, setting up a tent. Mm-hmm. With, with the whole um, the Ticketmaster thing, too, I, uh, I got to give a shout out to Callback for Tim talking about Pearl Jam. They were... They took Ticketmaster to court back in 95. They, they almost pretty much ruined their, like, all their stardom over it because they were busy fighting in court for months. But that sucks for for uh, for, for musicians, though, because essentially they can only go through Ticketmaster or Live Nation in order if they want to sell yeah. tickets now. And and they don't get paid a lot. You know no, what was super don't. cool during COVID? There was a lot of musicians who did um, webinar concerts. Yes. We just need direct over the internet into the homes of Taylor Brilliant. Swift, you know, concerts that they charge because there's no overhead. They charge, you know, $30 for like, who gives a shit? And you can have a million people. John, maybe we, you and I can create yeah. that platform. Oh my God. We're so smart. <laughs> I think have it. I can't remember what it's called. I think it rhymes with schmooshmoob. Schmooshmoob? Schmooshmoob. Yeah. I feel the earth move under my next topic. For the first time since 1984, the NBA has a new points leader. At 38 years old, LeBron James has become the NBA's all-time points leader, surpassing the 38,390 points scored, breaking Wilt Chamberlain's previous record. With LeBron seemingly in the twilight of his career, breaking the record is an amazing achievement of both skill and longevity. So with names like Kareem, Karl Malone, Kobe Bryant, and Michael Jordan now being under him on this list, is LeBron the best to ever play? Or is this kind of just a result of a very long, consistent career? Or maybe it's both. So LeBron James is, you know, kind of like the Tom Brady of the NBA. 
because he is performing at a high level in a at uh, somewhat advanced age, even though he's still younger than all of us. Maybe not Lisa. Um, <laughs> and he, the man is a beast. He is he he is just uh, like chiseled out of stone. Like he he keeps phenomenal shape, even at the quote unquote advanced age of thirty eight. Uh, and he's probably got a few years still left in him, which is even more. And I mean, amazing. he's played basketball with Bugs Bunny, so he's played basketball with Bugs Bunny. Uh, I mean, the so the in relation to where he fits into like you know the all time uh, players, he he won't surpass Michael Jordan in my opinion. Michael Jordan by by far is is the all time greatest NBA player all time, and I think that's one thing that that actually kills LeBron. I think he feels like he's in Michael's shadow, and that he has essentially been trying to get out of it his whole career. The one thing that's very unique with LeBron that you know that Michael and Kobe and all the all the other didn't go through is uh, LeBron was deemed the chosen one right after high school. Actually, while he was still in high school, so he's had the spotlight on him for years, for years, which is something that I don't think I could do, and I don't know a lot of people would be able to do it. Now there's a, a lot of pressure. There's a lot of things that LeBron does that I just I just don't agree on and and whatnot. That just some of the things, but he's he's obviously a very talented player, and like I said, he's he is a beast. Um, he's he's also I believe he recently got on the billionaires list. With, so good for him. He's I mean he's got his name everywhere between shoes, and he's got his a production company as well. Um, I have but, to check the Twitter. I didn't know he was on the list now too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in again. Michael Jordan is above him. I would put, and maybe this is for me being a Boston fan, Larry Bird, I think, is is above him as well. Uh, but I think that's probably my home bias right there. I don't know. What does everyone else think? I would agree. I think Michael Jordan's probably the best that's ever played. The game of basketball. I think LeBron's the best athlete to ever play basketball. I just think it's incredible what he's been able to do. And at the same time, I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to compare players era over era. That's Even true. The, Think about the NFL. You can watch a Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl with Roger Staubach airing out passes for 12 yards. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just you can't compare it. Josh Allen can throw the ball, you know, over the mountains. Literally watch the guy throw a ball 65 yards in a game with <laughs> flat footed. Like, it's, 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 you can't compare era over era. And yeah. it's wrong to even kind of think about it that way. Le- LeBron's the best that's ever played the game since. Michael Jordan, but then you have Kobe in there. How do you compare them? It's just different phases of the game. LeBron just he's his own kind of thing. He's you're, a beast. You're seeing longer careers uh, really across sports because sports medicine has changed yeah. dramatically in the yeah. past twenty. So and the training protocols and stuff. I mean, the off season used to be months upon months and months for like in the NFL, like and now like they train your like because they know oh, yeah. that there's money to be made if you stay in shape. So it's not just playing golf for six months out of the year. Well, I mean, you're, you're a commodity, right? And right. your athletic performance is directly related to your health and your well-being, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the competition has just gotten that much more intense too, where like you mm-hmm. have to, right? right. Like you're going to fall behind if you don't train every day. And protect yourself from injury too. Right. They yeah. know their, their, you know, their bodies. So you have to. Lisa, I find it funny you mentioned golf because golfers, professional golfers are also 
staying in shape year round. In mm -hmm. fact, a lot of them after or before their rounds, depending on what time it is, will lift like before or after their round and whatever, because they're, they just always want to stay in shape. I mean, the, the golfer back in like the eighties and the nineties was, you know, kind of, kind of a little, had a little belly to them or whatever like that. But the golfers today are actual athletes. Give me the in golfers. That seems like a game that needs alcohol. It seems like yeah. so much more entertaining. To, but to be at the to play at the level that they're playing now, you have to be an athlete. Just imagine them drunk. I mean, it's a total body be drunk athletes, sport. right? That works. <laughs> drunk athletes. Next season on Fox, drunk athletes. That, that should be a league. <laughs> you guys ever see the ridiculous uh, mini golf show on Fox? It's so the ADHD. holy moly one. Holy moly! It's so ADHD it, fueled. Yeah. It's insane. I love Rob Riggle on that show. Yeah, he's so funny. That show, uh, produced by another basketball player, Steph Curry. Really? Yeah. That's another good example, like what Tim said. How are you going to compare him? He scores a gazillion points. He revolutionized the way like basketball analytics are even like calculated. It's like, oh, oh, you win a lot more games by doing these three-pointers. Yeah, he's not like the beast that like LeBron he, is. Or, he changed like, the game. Right. Steph Curry That's has literally changed the game. But would you ever put him on the same pedestal as like Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Well, I LeBron don't know. back down from 3 nothing to win an NBA championship against Steph Curry. So there's yeah. that. Well, he, he decided to kick uh, uh, Draymond Green in the nuts. So that's how he won that championship. <laughs> Phil had to score a lot of points. I guess all I'm saying is that there's, there's room on the uh, basketball Mount Rushmore for a couple of these guys. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely one of the greatest players that have ever played the game. I, I, I don't know if I'll ever put him above Michael Jordan. I really don't. Does he make the starting lineup? Probably. Well, yeah. The Basketball Hall of Fame starting lineup. Probably. How does Kobe rank up if sure. he didn't? We didn't lose him so early. Mm. He's up there. Mm. I, I, I would put Kobe above LeBron. Yeah, I think so too. I think he was definitely a much more explosive player. And then all those years where Kobe has passed and LeBron is on the team by himself instead of with Kobe changes the way all that comes down. I, you know, being a Celtics fan, I hated Kobe Bryant. Hated him throughout his entire career. Like I was I mean, so yes. I was so jealous when he was when he played with Shaq and they and, and Phil Jackson was their coach. I mean, come on. How how the hell do you beat that team? Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Phil Jackson. I mean, you they, didn't beat that team. That was the thing. Well, that's the thing. No, I, yeah. How yeah. do you beat that team? You can't beat yeah, that you, team. You can't beat that team. But Kobe won two more championships without Shaq. Good for him. Kobe Bryant was definitely up there, and I, I have mad respect for him. When he played, I just hated him. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he he was probably close to the end of his career anyway. He was in the league for 14 seasons or 19 more, seasons. More than that. Yeah, yeah. Because he started, he came straight out of high he, school, just like straight, LeBron. Mm -hmm. He started, I'm looking at it now. He came in out in 96. Mm -hmm. And his um, career average is just about the same as LeBron's. He has 25. I think LeBron had 27. But he he was but a guard. very similar. He was a guard. Mm -hmm. And he's, uh, I mean, not like the most built person but I mean, lebron is a tank he yeah. is a tank and he could play any position scoring has entirely changed when when michael jordan was playing yes and the, no the power forwards and the centers weren't the 35 point a game scorers right the shooting guards the small forwards those guys were scoring the points but literally like when lebron starts going you can't stop him when the jordan 
half the league had like day jobs. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that has been our 10 topics. Please follow or like us on our socials at if these balls pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our website is www.ifthesballscouldtalkpod.com, where you can see our sports news of the day. You could talk to us through Discord or visit our online store and purchase some show swag. We're doing a limited time promotion for our store where you can get 20% off your purchase with a discount code SUPERBOWL, one word and all caps. We'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week. Thank you, Phasers. Thank you, Phasers. Yes, this is fun. Thanks so much, Tim and Lisa. It was awesome to have you guys on. Good times. This is Mark Pesci, and for my partner, John Companion, and producer, Pete Stefan, that's what we feel they would say if these balls could talk. If these balls-